This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line? Touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. They could be made for TV, Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, distributed by Disney, all kinds of fun things. We talk about them here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks you're about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find show notes for this very podcast. You can find all kinds of Blu-ray and DVD reviews, reviews of the shorts from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. So make sure you're going and checking out the content over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me, as always, we have our fine film experts. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who, believe it or not, he actually is the man who developed the technology to make sure that the sun does, in fact, come out tomorrow. Yes, every day. Oops, wait. Got to fix that. I was going to say, please make sure you do that. It was rather uh, cloudy here today, so I would appreciate it if you could, um, if you could make that work. On it. Okay, thank you. Uh, also joining us from JustPressPlay.net is Miss Rachel Cole. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing great. Um, I'd just like to give people a heads up that I did live tweet this movie over on uh, LutusNYC, uh, the Twitter handle at LutusNYC, and I'm going to be posting up uh, some of my choice tweets from this movie up on LutusNYC.com. So check that out. Yeah, go, go and check that out uh, whenever you, you have the time. And, of course, our fine producer who keeps things running on time, makes all the edits, um, makes us sound good when we really don't, if you actually heard us record. Uh, and that is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find at about.me slash CherylP3 or on Twitter at CherylP3. How are you, Cheryl? I'm doing good. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. All right, uh, so if, if you've been to uh, a family film in the last few months, you've probably seen the trailer for uh, the new Annie musical starring Jamie Foxx and, and, and uh, Cameron Diaz and several others. Uh, so we thought, you know what, let's take a look back at Disney's version of Annie uh, that, that took place back in 1999. It was a made-for-television film, uh, probably lesser known than some of the, the ones that you might have seen other places, but that does not make it any less fun. It is uh, Disney's version of Annie from 1999, starring uh, Victor Garber as Daddy Warbucks, Kathy Bates as Miss Hannigan, and uh, an unknown known as Alicia Morton as Annie. It is, uh, for my money, having never seen it before and having seen the 1982 version very often, way better than the 1990, 1982 version. I, I was surprised to find during research that... Uh, there's a huge contention as to which is actually the better version. Yeah, because the, well, the 82 okay. was a classic 
so a quote unquote classic. It is a classic, and the the tough part is the line of the villains from the nineteen eighty two version versus the nineteen ninety nine version. I mean, you can't really lose either way because the nineteen eighty two version you get Carol Burnett, Tim Curry, and little baby Bernadette Peters versus Kathy Bates, Alan Cumming, and Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah. Well, Very a lot true. of a lot of the negative stuff that I was reading was more that apparently the 1982 version diverges much more from the play than this version does, except for the end. That is true. <laughs> yes. Well, the, it, like I saw the 82 version a lot, actually. I, I really enjoyed it as a kid. Um, but going back and, and kind of remembering it and, and sort of watching pieces of it here and there um, as, as I was doing research for this, the 82 version, they sort of tried to turn it into more of an adventure film, I guess, is probably the way I would say it. There's a lot more um, people trying to kill Daddy Warbucks, you know, car chases and things like that, versus this just being much more of the, the small musical that, it, that the original stage play was. I wanted to add that we do have um, two other Disney stars in this movie that we need to, that we need to mention. First is Lelaine, Um from Lizzie McGuire was in the, when when Lizzie McGuire is going on. Um, they grab Lelaine from 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 Lizzie, Lizzie McGuire and put her in. And the, the second is Andrea McCardle. She's played, I believe, Belle. Actually, I think Lizzie McGuire came on board. After came to Disney after this was out. Okay. Yeah, that would make yes. sense. Yes, yeah. and did, did did anyone notice who was playing Molly, the no. orphan that uh, has the nightmare at the beginning? That is a very young Sarah Highland yeah. from Modern Family. Yes. Oh gosh, yeah, no, I didn't notice that at all. Like really young, like unrecognizable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly. Yeah, uh, this, like we said, this is, again, based on the 1977 Broadway musical Annie, uh, which, which most folks are familiar of. Um, that one was, of course, based on the Little Orphan Annie comic strips. And this is something that's been produced, this, this musical, gosh, dozens of times, uh, probably six or seven, I think, on Broadway. But then, you know, touring companies and, it's, and all it's that It still sort tours of today. It, it's yeah. official website. Yep. It still tours the country yearly. Of well, all, there, all of there's... There's a new national tour that's kicking off soon because um, there was a Broadway run actually just last year, um, which included Jane Lynch playing the role of Miss Hannigan. Nice. Um, and and it didn't run for very long. It actually didn't do that well. Um, and especially after uh, after Jane Lynch left the cast, uh, ticket sales didn't do so well. So they decided they would just uh, send it on tour instead. Apparently, they've also tried to make it like the American Girl series because they also did a TV movie for 1995 called someone did I don't know if it was I don't think it was Disney um, called Annie a Royal Adventure. So yeah, that was yes. That was a sequel to the 1982 movie. So obviously, you know, obviously they were trying to get on the get. I don't know if the American Girl was going. I think American Girl was after this but who knows but they were trying to get on that on that train of <laughs> making girls movies right yeah. yeah see i do not count that as a real sequel because the there's only one song in the entire thing it's not actually a musical um the only song that carries over is tomorrow because i i mean of course you have to carry that song over um yeah. also did anyone read about the two stage sequels to annie 
I, I read I the briefly only about this, but but it, they did not sound very intriguing to me. Yes. Okay. So uh, the first sequel that happened was Annie Two: Miss Hannigan's Revenge, which ran at the Kennedy Center in uh, in Washington D.C. And it was basically a complete disaster. There's actually a rundown of the plot of it and a few select lines and some of the songs from it. And it is an entertaining read. It is, it's, it's really fantastic that somebody actually wrote these lines and thought that this would be a good idea. Um, and then the second sequel, which I actually saw when I was a young kid, is uh, Annie Warbucks. Um, and interestingly enough... This version of Annie, the 1999 one, is almost like an X-Men Days of Future Past because it e- effectively retcons both of those sequels. Oh. Nice. Yes, which I will get to at the end because it's something that happens in the last scene that makes those sequels never happen. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting. Um, so this uh, movie was fast-tracked, this television movie. Did you realize that? No, not at all. Yeah, so it was made for Wonderful World of Disney when it was in its late 90s revival period. Okay. Um, they wanted to do it as a follow-on for the Cinderella, which did, uh, which is a Hammerstein Cinderella ab- adaptation that they did live for TV that was, uh, did really good. It was Whitney Houston was in that. For right. Those. Yeah, I remember that one. Okay. And um, basically they decided they wanted to do this in January of 1999 the casting call for Annie ran from February and March to 1999. They did all the filming in June, and it came out in November. Wow, that is fast. Yeah, and it cost them all of $10 million to make. Yeah, it makes sense that it didn't cost too, too much because it, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when I was watching it, it looks like the, the New York set pieces are a standing set because I've noticed, I noticed several places that I've seen in other sitcoms like TV sitcoms, so like How I Met Your Mother, for example, I, like I noticed several different places that they use in that. Um, a couple of them that they've used in um, in Seinfeld and and a few other you know, New York based sitcoms. There's like all these different sets that are you know standing sets, and I don't remember where it's shot, but uh, I, I believe this is the Columbia lot that they're at that has that, that set. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Um, I wanted to ask uh, both Ryan and Rachel how they felt about this being Rob Marshall. Because you each have a reason to comment. <laughs> About being Rob Marshall. Yes, because uh, Into the Woods, upcoming yes. movie, uh, he will be directing it. Um, he, well, he did the choreography for this, from what I understand. Did he also direct this? He directed this. It was only, what it was was he was coming off of having done Cinderella successfully as a choreographer, and then they had him direct this, yes. as well as choreograph- do the choreography for this. Um. You know, I think I think he did a fine job here. You know, for for a uh, made-for-TV uh, movie musical, I think it was pretty good. Um, yeah. I will say that I I much prefer the choreography from It's a Hard Knock Life in the 1982 movie to this one. There's a lot more dancing in the 1982 version. Yeah, for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it, at this one point, which is a big uh, dance point in the 1982 version. They're literally scrubbing floors in this one. I I kind of got mad. I was like, okay, this is a little bit of lazy choreography here. <laughs> I mean, you, you could do something, at least at least do a little something, you know, yeah. not just having them scrub floors. Right. Well, Although the, it goes along with the song, so. <laughs> there, there is that. The, well, the fundamental difference is this, is, is Annie as a play is a two-act play, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, to do TV, you have to take a 
to do a movie, you have to, if you're doing a film movie, you can just do it however you need to do it. But when it's film, because you have to, with it's TV, because you have to deal with commercials, you have to break it into seven parts. So a lot of things end up getting condensed because you can't like run the song for like eight minutes and then have another commercial break because that would really, that throws TV off right. kilter. So. Yeah. Well, we talked about this when the, when we were talking about um, Once Upon a Mattress too, right? Like so, a lot of songs get abbreviated and a lot of plot lines get abbreviated so that they can get songs in. You know what I mean? Like so, like for me in this one, the, it, it was it was hilarious how quickly we went from I want a boy orphan to I'm going to adopt her. I believe it was about ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and I'm not exaggerating. It really was like ten minutes. Yeah, that tends to be a strong complaint about the movie is that in, in general, in the actual play and in the '82 version, it takes Annie a, a much longer time to win over Daddy Warbucks, and in this, it's like three minutes tops. Yeah. It's it's basically the length of a song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but honestly, other than that. Um, and again, I went into this highly, highly skeptical. I will not lie. I went into it thinking this was not going to be good. But other than that, that was like my only complaint about the thing. The cast is phenomenal. Yeah. Well, how did how did people feel about the actress who was playing Annie? She's okay, but she's a little standoffish. She's flat. The- yeah, she's sta- yeah. I, I, I think she's flat that. compared to the people she's against. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I'm, I mean, we're talking Kathy Bates and Victor Garber. Um, so I mean, right. I that's why she was flat to me because they are so they're so like up and getting her to be that up. I mean, they they would need to cast like another kid that you know had some potential. I don't know who. <laughs> Yeah, I, I read an interview f- of her at the time period, and she was, well, she was really into Annie, I guess, like it was something that she loved since she was a kid, you know, but it was, that's typical interview stuff is to say you love the thing that you're talking about since you were a kid anyway, and she's still a kid, so it's kind of confusing, but um, she went to the whole thing, but then she, at the end, I mean, she's, t- she's 10 at the time, right? She wasn't even as old as the actual character. And she said, she said, I do not want to be typecast as Annie, so I hope years from now people are not asking me to sing tomorrow on the street. I don't think that'll be a problem for her. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, she's 10 years old and she said that, and that's like, wow. Yeah. I think Andrea McArdle, who also played Annie, would, would be the one that people would have to say tomorrow on the street. <laughs> yeah, for sure. If a choice is made between the two. Yeah, maybe it might be that she saw that documentary about all the girls that had played Annie. I don't know if anyone saw this, but there's actually a documentary where they reunited, I think it was about 40 of the orphan girls who had, uh, the actresses that played the orphan girls from, um, from, I believe, the stage show and from the movie, and talked to them about their experiences being part of this phenomenon that was Annie at the time. Um, so maybe she saw that and got a little bit scared. <laughs> It could be. That could be. I mean, but like, like Cheryl was saying, for and- Andrea McArdle, who's actually in, has an appearance in this movie later, you know, later on. But you know, she's done really well since. I mean, she's you know had a strong you know Broadway showing in general. So you know, she played Belle for what two years on Broadway and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, 
But no, you, you're, I, did, I read about that interview. I also noticed that our um, friend Tammy had interviewed uh, Marissa Rango, who plays Pepper, and Aaron Adams, who plays Tessie, on an episode of her podcast as well. And I guess they apparently in, had a tremendously fun time playing the girls on this particular production. So I think, I think that's always, you know, it's good when kids enjoy playing the roles. Yeah, oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, I think, yeah, I think part of it is that this, the play and the film, uh, the 82 film even, are so recognizable that this is, this is one of those that's like really tough to get right without the right cast. And I think that's the thing that, that, that made this so good is like you're saying, the, the, the kids were, were good. Even, I think, I do think Alicia Morton as Annie, like you're saying, Rachel, is a little bit flat. But I think there's a lot to what Cheryl's saying too about you know the the folks who are with her are so good. I mean the the songs, sure. I mean the songs are the songs, and they're the same from '77. But the rapid fire dialogue and the quick jokes that you know might fly over kids' heads yeah. um, are like Garber and Kathy Bates delivering those jokes are amazing also, like alan i think coming as well does yes really, does really well <laughs> yes. not to mention alan coming has literally like a couple months before this started right this started um re- you know them recording the this he just won his tony for cabaret yeah so he's fresh and he's you know in his broadway singing prime and here you are doing a broadway production as a tv movie i mean he was ready for this oh for yeah sure. And um, as far as the dialogue and how good the jokes are, um, Thomas Meehan wrote the book for uh, for the musical and also has worked on uh, various iterations of it since then. Um, he also wrote the books for uh, the producers on Broadway, for Hairspray on Broadway. Uh, most recently, he wrote the book for Rocky on Broadway, and he also worked on the screenplay for Spaceballs. So that's why the jokes are just that good. Yeah, yeah it make, makes perfect sense. Now... I, I know you were saying that you know you don't enjoy some of the numbers as well, but I think that the way the songs are integrated with the rest of the story actually work really well in this production. Yes. Oh yeah. And, and yeah. I and I kind of owe that to you know Irene Michi, who really that's you know she's worked on Lion King, Hunchback, Hercules, and Brave, all of which have that same general quality where the story flows in and out of the music very fluidly. And I think that she—that's—that's that's what she brought to it. Not necessarily the story itself, obviously, but just that aspect. Yeah. Well, also they cut some of the uh, the songs that had been written for the '82 movie were cut, and they ended up bringing back um, "NYC" to be the big central number with um, with Annie and Daddy Warbucks having their first big bonding moment. Yeah. Because that's from the original musical, but it was not in the '82 movie. Yeah, they did a whole movie song that was just for the 82 movie and not the musical instead for the same moment so yep i do find it interesting though that like in most adaptations of of the play they cut out a lot of the great depression stuff the songs specifically um you know like it's all in here right like you can see the hooverville when they're going out but like the songs like let's hear it for herbert hoover and stuff like that is generally what gets cut whenever they try to adapt the film. And I'm not sure if that's just because people aren't comfortable thinking or talking about the depression or what, um, but it's all in here. It's just more subtext than text, I guess. Yeah, I think the reason why is because 
um, and because I know exactly what song you're talking about. And it works in the stage show because it's the right sort of pacing for a stage show. But in a movie, it kind of brings the plot to a halt. And you're spending time with characters that aren't going to show up for the rest of the movie. Um, like you're spending time with all these people living in the Hooverville. and um, Right. Yeah, it just... I, I absolutely understand why they cut it for most movie adaptations. Even though I like the song personally in the musical. All right. So let, let's get started and talk it through, because I think most people know the basic story of Annie, um, but and, and, the, and even the music to a degree. Um, this one starts with Annie, uh, you know, with the, with the nightmare, just like it always does, with Molly having the nightmare, Annie trying to calm her down, and she's singing the song, maybe talking about, uh, you know, maybe someday they'll get out of there. You know, uh, fairly straightforward for for Annie. It always opens the same way. I, I can't remember. I've I've seen. I want to say I've seen one other version besides the eighty two version and the stage version. Um, and I can't remember. It might have been just a local version or something. But uh, I, I don't ever recall anybody varying from that. Uh, and then the hard knock life showing up second when uh, when Annie tries to escape and Miss Hannigan catches her, um, which is my favorite song in the whole thing. Yeah, I think it generally tends to be a favorite. Yeah, I think that one and then, of course, Tomorrow are the big, right, those are the big takeaways that most people have from, from watching this one. Yeah. And I have to say, Kathy Bates as Miss Hannigan is inspired. I mean, I thought Carol Burnett was, was great, and she was in the 82 version, but uh, Kathy Bates is is really good. Well, the funny thing about if you Google Kathy Bates and Annie, the first thing that pops up is misery. (laughs) 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 Because her character's name in that is Annie. (laughs) So I had a little little bit of trouble finding some information on her for this movie because everything kept conflicting with that when I would do my uh, web searches. But yeah, she is very funny in this. Um, And surprisingly, very good voice. I didn't know that she sang, but um, apparently she does. Yes, indeed. Yeah, she's, she's very, very talented and, uh, and very, very funny as well. But yeah, what, what did we think of, of Alicia Morton's, uh, I hate to judge her singing voice, but you know, I mean, she, she starts out with a solo and sings maybe, and then of course sings Hard Knock Life with the, with the kids. Uh, what did we think of her singing voice? I I thought it's good. It's, I don't think she's actually as good at singing as the, uh, I can't remember the girl's name from the 1982 movie, but I mean, you know, it's probably what most people are going to end up comparing and contrasting this to anyway. Right. I don't think she yeah. sings as well as as that girl. Because I think that, that girl belts it. You know? Yeah, that that girl has that big belty brassy voice, and this Annie is much sweeter and kind of a little more demure, I guess. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, I thought it, I thought she was. You know, I don't know. If flat's the way to say it. Um, I I thought she was just a little off like i guess that's that's the way to put it i mean i i thought she was fine i don't trust me better than me but uh <laughs> just a, just a little bit uh a little bit off from what i was expecting and then I, but i thought um you know when she finally when she did um tomorrow i thought she did a great job with that one um 
And I know we're skipping around a little bit, but I thought she did really well with that one. I like the fact that in this version, they stayed much closer to the stage play. And, you know, the, the whole thing with Mr. Bundles and her sneaking out in the laundry. I've always liked that. Um, and I've seen, you know, like in 82, obviously they, they switched that around. It wasn't quite the same. Um, I, but I did like that part that, uh, and our, Mr. Bundles being played by Ernie Sabella doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else wanting him to be a warthog? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And this whole beginning part is only important so much as all the key elements of the story get fixed into this, like, you know, right. between these two few first scenes, you know, because we find out she's 11. She was left in 1922. It's 1933. We find out about the locket, um, you know, which is that her parents have the other half of the locket, which we later learn is not true. Right. You know, and, and things like that, you know, because apparently Miss Hannigan isn't telling her the truth. The whole time is the is the key thing. So Gasp. who knew? Yeah, I was gonna say, which is shocking, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean that that you're right. That's that's the key the key story elements. But what I like about this is that that those the story elements necessarily, and I'm a big story guy, aren't quite as important in this as the the following of Annie. The, that element isn't quite as important as following Annie's journey. Um, with Daddy Warbucks and Miss Hannigan's kind of parallel journey uh, with her brother later on, uh, which I, I like the, the the parallel between the two of them of her of Annie trying to find the good in everybody and Miss Hannigan trying to find the, her way out of everything. Um, I thought that was kind of it, it, that's the way it's supposed to be played in the play, um, but it's not. It, obviously, in the '82 version, it's not quite that same parallel. So yeah. I. I did enjoy that in this one. Uh, but yeah, so Annie escapes in the laundry, and this is where she she meets up with Sandy, the dog, which is probably the second most famous character from the play. Right. Well, that that's because you have to have Sandy because from the comic strip, it's it's the comic strip is 90% her and the dog. Right. Oh, I mean, that's yeah, that's the key visual from the comic strip is is her with her little, you know, her wide eyes and Sandy sitting right next to her with his wide eyes open at everybody. But right. yeah, she meets she meets, she steals a piece of roasted corn. Um, try and Sandy steals it from her. Um, and she was, as she's walking away with the dog. This is the that great scene that uh, that I, that I enjoy of, you know, when she's calling the dog, she just decides to name him Sandy to prove to the cop that it is, in fact, her dog. <laughs> Uh, I do I do enjoy that quite a bit because it's just one of those things where you're it, it's nice it's like a little bit of suspense where you're sitting there going is 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 the dog going to come or not even if you've seen it a hundred times it's still one of those things that you're still rooting for her and and waiting uh, to see if if the dog's actually going to going to go out there for her. yeah and I think they held it just for the right amount of time too so yeah for sure but yeah the so the next bit is of course uh, she gets caught. Uh, right after she's singing tomorrow and and all this sort of thing uh, and how the sun is going to come out, then she gets caught. After being chased all night. Yeah. Yeah, she gets re- she gets captured. I, I, it was a weird sort of cut because it's like she's running away and then all of a sudden she's back at the orphanage. Um, but, you know, like we, like we said, for the sake of time, they had a lot of things they had to sort of squeeze in. Well, they have her finally capture him. Him finally capture her, I mean, right? Because... 
he kind of finally gets the drop on her, even though she's been like getting away every yeah. single turn, you know. So, but it I is said, quick. It is quick. <laughs> yes. It doesn't feel like all night, despite that that's what they say. Correct. Yeah. But uh, she gets captured and uh, sent back to the orphanage, and it, this is this is about the time that uh, Grace shows up, played by Audrey McDonald. Oh, and we, starts. Oh, we get, sorry, the big, we get the big villain song first. Uh, this is true. Yeah, the second, the first of two big villain songs. So, which is uh, the little girl song. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Which this is actually one of my favorite songs from the musical. Um, my one regret about this one versus the Carol Burnett one, and it's just you know a creative choice, but I like how Burnett plays it very boozy. <laughs> yes. True. <laughs> Like there's just kind of a little bit of a like, um, like a little bit of a Johnny Depp as a Captain Jack Swagger almost to it, um, in Carol Burnett's version of it. And this one, Kathy Bates is just kind of angry. <laughs> yeah, I know that's a, that's a fair point. I mean, she because Carol Burnett plays the whole character with the the boozy out outpouring, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, we get uh, the song "Little Girls" about how the fact that poor Miss Hannigan, she's not swimming in diamonds or or pearls or anything. She has uh, an overflow of little girls, uh, and it's about that time that you know Annie Annie's in her office when when Grace shows up. And the whole idea here is that you know Oliver Warbucks, the billionaire, has decided to bring an orphan to his home for Christmas. Um, we don't really get an explanation until they show up at the house, but uh, it's so it's a little weird. I'm not going to lie. A little strange. Hi, I'm here. I would like to take one of your children for two weeks. Well, she had already come in with approval from the orphans board or whatever she says it is. So, I Still strange. Yeah, true. But, you know, stuff like that. I think it's fair because the 30s orphanages that t- and, you know, boys' homes and stuff like that are always depicted the same way. So I think that it's there may be a lot of historical accuracy to the looseness of the authority, so to speak. I uh, that that I could see. Yes, I would. I can. I could see that. Yeah. So, uh, but but Grace comes in and picks her picks her up and and takes takes her away. Uh, takes Annie away to Mister Warbuck's house. So this is the big reveal of of the giant house that he lives in, um, which is not quite as giant as the one from eighty two. But again, TV budget. Yep. <laughs> I'd also like to point out that uh, Audra McDonald, who plays Grace, she is she is basically a national treasure. I mean, between between uh, this and the Sound of Music um, made for T- made for TV uh, musical, whatever you want to call that, um, she is like people have gotten a chance to see her. But she is she officially holds the record now for the most Tony wins of any performer ever. Huh. From this past year, when she won for uh, for her performance as uh, Billie Holiday, um, she I believe she's won eight Tonys at this point as a as a leading actress, and she is just phenomenal. Um, there's tons of her performances on YouTube. Definitely go look them up, especially uh, when she was in Porgy and Beth. She's fantastic. Good to know. Yeah, she she. Uh... She really owns the role of Grace, which is in this one, 
especially is a minor role. You know, it's a little bit bigger in some of the other productions. But in this one, it's sort of a minor role. But, like, every time she's on screen, uh, it's, it's hard to look away. Like, she really inhabits that role really well. I, th- I, was, I was very impressed with what she did with very little um, screen time, for sure. Oh, and just to correct that, um, I said eight Tony Awards. It was actually six competitive Tony Awards, more than any other actor of either gender. Still, still impressive. Yes, still very impressive. Yep. So, yeah, this is the, the big introduction where we have, I think I'm going to like it here, which is Annie's big song with Grace and the staff of, of where they're telling her, you know, hey, you, you know, we'll draw a bath. And it's, it's, you know what it is, Todd? It's a montage. It is. <laughs> it, it, the other thing is, is like this song is probably the longest. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that because NYC goes on forever, too. Right. Yeah, it does. But, I mean, this is this goes on a really long time. Well, there's a lot to get to. There's a lot of baths to be drawn and pillows to be fluffed and that sort of thing. True. And they have to pick out clothes for her and the whole nine yards. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the little exchange about her jacket is good. Am I going to get it back? Yes. Well, I like that. I like, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, it's such a revealing moment, right? Like, and I know it's coming straight from the play, but you know, where they say, she says, where do you want to start? And she says, well, I can start with the floors and I can scrub those and do that. I mean, it just shows exactly what, what the times were like in the, in the depression, what she's used to. I mean, it's, it's a really nice moment. I thought uh, of, of showing character through action. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a nice payoff for that character because she's been, you know, she's an orphan. She doesn't really have anything, and now she's getting to, for at least the next two weeks, have anything that she wants. Right. So. Despite how rich he is, though, he has way too much staff. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I would agree with that. Also, they're his only friends. You know, when he invites the part, them and the president, right? Because when he sets up the party list later on, it's it's the three of them, the staff, and the president. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of a lot of folks beating down his door to to help him out. Nope. Uh, which is yeah, and that's when when Victor Garber makes his big entrance. Uh, I love Victor Garber. He's, yep. He's awesome. He in this, like, I think he drops a joke a second in the, his first, you know, two or three minutes on film, and it, like, I was rolling laughing at the different the way he's delivering things, like just the way he looks at Annie when when he's saying, you know, I wanted a boy orphan, like just that look cracked me up. Yes, and the exchange with her, they come as girls also. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I have a lot of love for Victor Garber because I I will always love him as uh, Jesus in uh, Godspell, with, in which he has lots and lots of hair, whereas here he has no hair. <laughs> <laughs> He's equally good whatever length his hair is. He had to balance yes. the universe. <laughs> True. I even loved him in Alias. Yes. Like, Yep, I thought he was great there. Uh, yeah, so he he finally gets convinced by Grace to take Annie out. Uh, she has apparently never been to a Broadway show. 
uh, and he doesn't. He's never. She's never seen the city. More importantly, and this is the song that's missing from from the '82 version and from several others. Actually, uh, NYC, where he's extolling the virtues of New York City, which aren't exactly virtues, I guess. If you listen to the lyrics very closely. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's stuff that he likes, right? I mean, it's and that's fine. I can understand the thing that he lists being appealing to people, but it's not certainly not the most appealing things in some cases. Yeah, like the cab drivers yelling things at them. Yeah, yeah which is and the tr- fact which that is it's true. <laughs> and the fact that it's so crowded. But the thing is that anyone that's lived in New York will go, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like none of this is wrong, and it kind of becomes some of the things that you love about the city, just because you have survived them collectively with everyone else who lives here. Yeah, and you and you have no choice. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you have you have to get used to it. Yeah. Th- but this is what we were talking about earlier, where like again, it's another montage of them going through the city, and they end up at you know a Broadway play, which looked like Forty Second Street. Am I am I it's, wrong it's, there? Um, it it actually looks a lot like um, Thoroughly Modern Millie, especially the main girl from it with her suitcases and the the sort of almost sailor-type outfit, the little dress and everything. Um, if you look at pictures of Sutton Foster from uh, the Broadway production of Thoroughly Modern Millie, they almost look exactly alike. Yeah. Well, like, like we said earlier, that's actually Andrea McCardle who played Annie originally. Yeah. In the original Broadway play, doing, doing this role. And... Um, it's actually the sets and costumes are from a ballet production of Singing in the Rain. Oh, yeah, I could definitely oh, okay. see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes perfect sense. So. But th- this, is the, this is the moment, though, that, that we talked about earlier where, like, right, once that's done and they're pulling back in, they, you know, Sandy reappears uh, and they pull back into Daddy Warbuck's house and they start uh, to take her upstairs. Like he's now in the course of this one song made the decision that he's, he's going to adopt her, which in the play and in, in the other, in the other movie, it doesn't quite work that way. Right. There's, there's a little more to it than that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, I, mean, I think to brevity, I don't know why, but you know, clearly right. they cut, cut down on the whole relationship building. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's probably my, like I said, that's my biggest complaint is like that's the core relationship in the film is between the two of them. And it's given very short shrift except for in the course of songs. Like there's not a lot of action or character development that builds their relationship. And I can understand, I can understand like you're saying for brevity, Todd, that's why they would do it. And quite honestly, because the audience is sort of predisposed at this point to accept that relationship. Right. So you, even even for even for us who are, you know, quote unquote, criticizing or critics like, you know, that's going to happen. And and it's just something that you're, you're predisposed to bless. Right. It's not one of those things you're going to go, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, they are literally cartoon characters come yeah. to life. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, I, it, it, as quibbles go, it's not a big one, right? So he decides that he wants to adopt her, and you know, finally uh, comes to her with the with the proposition of doing so. But Annie 
you know, is still clinging to the fact that she has this letter from her parents, she has the locket, and she wants to find her real parents. She does not want to be adopted. Uh, and so Daddy Warbucks uh, instead, or I guess at this point he's still Oliver Warbucks, instead says that he will call in every favor he can, including the president, if need be, or at least Grace says that, uh, to help find her parents. And that's really kind of him, considering... Um, he comes to her with the locket and everything and um, and basically bears his heart to her and she kind of throws it back in his face. <laughs> yeah, I felt like she was a little meaner uh, today than in this version than I had seen. And even, I, like I said, I've seen the other, pl- I've seen the play once and I've seen a few of these others. Uh, I, I don't know. I thought she was a little rougher in this one than others. Yeah, which is funny because most of the rest of her performance is a, a lot more demure than a lot of other Annie's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they they play it strong on her being unwilling to give up the the fact that her parents are, you know, she still thinks her parents are still alive. Yeah, true. Well, and she has the quote-unquote evidence for that, you know what I mean? Like the the stuff with the uh, the letter and, and that sort of thing that they they do make a bigger point I think of emphasizing that stuff here uh, in in this version and then right before what would normally be the the act break if it was the play we have the version of Easy Street which is Alan Cumming yes! as <laughs> Alan Cumming playing Rooster the brother of Miss Handigan and uh, Lily Saint Regis played by Kristen Chenoweth the dumb girlfriend. Uh, come to Hannigan's orphanage and they figure out that Annie is with Daddy Warbucks uh, and that somehow there's a way for them to make money off of this. And so they sing a song about the fact that they're going to be on Easy Street. And the fact that it doesn't make sense that they don't know how they're going to make money off of it does not matter because the performances are so freaking fantastic. Yeah. I know it's it's a little moment in the song, but I really do love the when uh, Alan Cumming turns to Kathy Bates and he says, "No, Daddy Warbucks doesn't live there. You know where he lives." And then yes. just goes back into the song. <laughs> His delivery of that is just perfect. Well, to be fair, it's Alan Cumming. I mean, most of mo- if he's performing a musical, it's probably going to be perfect, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is this is right in his wheelhouse. I mean, well, really, all three of them, right? I mean, it is. This is exactly what these three do best: is you know, perform over the top kind of fun stuff. Uh, Yeah, it's great. And I don't even really like the song necessarily that much, but watching the three of them perform it uh, is is thrilling. Yeah, I could see where you where you go that way. I mean, it's not my favorite song either. I mean, but yeah, you're yeah. right. I mean, the thing is, is Rooster is not someone who you ever picture as a you know a, a big, a husky, or a dumpy guy. So to have Alan Cummings play him is perfect because he's got that tall lankiness to him. Yeah, that you just feel the character should have. So yeah, and the tiny little mustache. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, he's supposed to be you know like a. a a smart guy, a con man sort. You know, he's not supposed to be the, the muscle, for sure. You're right. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the, the, the next piece is uh, abbreviated a bit from, from what you see in, in lots of the, uh, the, the productions in that uh, it's Annie is on the radio. So if, you're, if you see this on, on, if you actually go and see the touring company, you'll see her perform the song You're Never Fully Dressed Without a Smile or see her on the radio after Bert Healy and the Boylan Sisters perform the song. Here you just hear it on the radio and then the orphans sing it uh, in Miss Hannigan's office while they're they're singing it and they're the ones and while they sing that then she walks in you know about the noise and they tell her that there's a fifty thousand dollar reward for anybody who can prove uh that they're annie's parents because mr warbucks is trying to look for her parents um i i will say i did take some parenting advice from miss hannigan when the kids asked for their supper and she says i knew you were going to be bad so i didn't fix it for you i think <laughs> i might go with that plan right or, or earlier when she says, when they ask for breakfast, she says, you can have it later. <laughs> that yeah, one, one I've done before. I will, I'll admit that. One thing I don't like about this version is, I mean, in the 82 one, you get that moment where Annie gets the peek behind the curtain of how these radio shows actually come together, and she's kind of fascinated by all of it. And it's kind of fun to watch that, and you don't get it in this iteration. You don't get to see, like, the the live recording of the radio show and kind of all right. the fun of that, like the sort of era stuff that you can uh, mess around with that. Yeah, and, um, and the original playwriting paid homage to that because it was a cartoon strip, then it was a radio show, then it eventually yep. became a, a Broadway play. So that's why that's all built into the story to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, this, though, is, is, is when, after... after the orphans are, are shooed out. Rooster and, and Lily come back in. They're posing as Ralph and Shirley Mudge, the parents of Annie. Um, Lily can't make it, what, a minute and a half without screwing it up? <laughs> so this is, this is where the, probably the biggest diversion, or one of, the, one of the big diversions from the stage play is that in this... In this version, um, Kathy Bates ends up playing uh, Miss Mudge, whereas in the, of course, because her being Miss Hannigan, that doesn't make as much sense uh, because Annie would recognize her in the stage version. But uh, in this one, it's Kathy Bates who plays Miss Mudge. She kicks Lily out of the role. Yeah, weirdly enough, that's kind of a reference to the stage sequels that happened to Annie. Um, because a big a big uh, part of the stage the first stage sequel, Annie to Miss Hannigan's Revenge, is Miss Hannigan getting a makeover and posing as someone else, this woman that goes by, I believe it's Charlotte O'Hara, and trying to woo Daddy Warbucks and marry him for his money and then kill Daddy Warbucks. Um, and the whole thing is, like, how is she going to fool Annie, who, you know, obviously grew up with this woman and would probably be able to recognize her in a second? Um, right. So them, so them having Miss Hannigan playing uh, Mrs. Mudge in this version is a little bit of a throwback to that. I like it. We're pulling it. We're pulling all the continuity, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So it's at this point that uh, Warbucks finds out that there were ninety thousand of the lockets manufactured 
during the time frame of, of Annie's birth or, or when they would have given it to her. And there's really, the FBI says there's no way for them to figure out which one it is. And so that, and the fact that a bunch of people came uh, for the money and all turned out to be cranks, you put those two things together. And that's when Annie finally realizes that, you know, her parents are probably not coming for her. Uh, and she agrees uh, to be adopted. And that's when we get, um, Daddy Warbucks finally sings the song. Victor Arbor sings the Something Was Missing song before that. Uh, and then uh, there's a nice little... I like the duet moment between her and, and he, uh, the I Don't Need Anything But You, where they're sliding across the piano and doing those sorts of things in the great hall of the, of the house. Oh, yeah, when they think, they're, when they think every, when everything's going good for them before it kind of like crashes and burns for a little bit. So. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's the thing is this, the, the fi- final, uh, I guess, you know, the final act of this, it moves really, really quickly. It's like, oh, we're good. We're up. We're down. Everything's, you know, that kind of thing. It, the, whole, the whole movie, really, after that first sequence where, uh, where Annie's in the orphanage, once she moves out of the orphanage, it moves really fast. So this is uh, right at, right about the time they think everything is going well. They're setting up a uh, the party that they're going to have uh, at Christmas. So there's Christmas decorations. It's Christmas Eve, so they're going to set up this big Christmas dinner. The president's coming. Uh, you know, all all this is going to happen, and they're going to do the adoption. And they get Judge Louis Brandeis, who would eventually be on the Supreme Court, uh, to come do this. I love the the mixing of the historical figures into the into the plot. That's actually integral to the original uh, comic strip. Is it was very much a means for Gray to do political commentary. Right. So he was constantly yep. throwing real world things into the storyline like that. Yeah. Apparently, he actually really hated Roosevelt. So the fact that he was in the the musical and the movie was a little bit of a dig at the original comic. Yes, the the song the song the New Deal Christmas or whatever that's in the play is a big yep. dig at the actual New Deal if you actually pay attention yep. to it. So okay, and since we're introducing Roosevelt, at this point is when I get confused because they say they're gonna send out the locket and the stuff to the Secret Service, well, and yet and yet we don't get the payback for that for at least another few. At least a lot, a few scenes. I feel. And well, the locket's already come back. But he find. But they knew. He, at. But they know her parents are dead, and they know who they are. But we don't get that payout till like a couple scenes after this. Isn't that from the letter? No, they they come up oh, with her name. That's Bennett. FDR that's a, comes out on the wheelchair. That's yeah, at the, the end. Very that's end. the very end. Yeah, that's yeah, after but everything that, that's what I'm saying. It's like uh, there's so much in between. This the the fact where right now they've taken the locket. Yeah, but and that's the that's the story, right? Is because they think that everything's going to go well, and then they pose as the parents and try to and try to steal her and kill her, right? Which they never get to the kill her point. <laughs> yeah, they never actually talk about that in this one. Well, they do. Yeah, they they do. don't come yeah. out and say it. He because he takes out the knife and he goes. And she, Lily goes. Well, what are we going to do with the girl? And he pulls out the knife and stabs the table. Right. So no, he, that's he, as he much just, as they say. He, he does a little um, uh, Star Lord uh, knife across the throat and does a. We'll we'll make her disappear. 
Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and then once everything gets resolved with the parents, then Annie is freed from the belaborment that she thinks her parents are still alive, which allows her to get adopted. I'm just saying that the whole bunch of scenes for for something that they've always that that's so far been such a quick turnaround from every scene to like quick 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 to then have this long longer scene. I get it's supposed to be the end, but it does felt like a longer time of payout for me. It's all I'm saying. Well, this is all. This is also the time when they they put out the actual like they've put out the actual search and they're going through all these people and these applicants and figuring out that all these people are frauds. So I guess like the search is still continuing. It's just like, yeah, they're just following other routes to try to find her parents. Yeah, I think I think quite honestly, I don't think they paid a ton of attention to this. To, to the to the how the plot mechanics were going to work, I, I see what Cheryl's saying. Like there's some there's some interesting um, you know kind of back and forth with it, and it's you, you have to pay really close attention to it. They don't spell a lot of stuff out. They do they do hit everything, but it does, um, you know, they, I, I don't think they were paying that close attention to the story. I think they were more worried about getting in the musical numbers. Um, and the overall feel of it than they were about the story. I mean, even with, you know, like we said, the relationship between um, Daddy Warbucks and Annie is just sort of like, all right, we got a song that addresses that and we're moving on, you know, kind of a thing. So, but I think it's not as important as just the emotional aspect of it, I think is what they were going for because when Annie's quote unquote parents show up, the mudges, and then they find out that they'll have to come get her the next day, you know, and Annie's, despondent and you know running upstairs and grace has to come and sing to her um which sort of replaces the song that they had to do that they do at the white house in the original play so grace sings tomorrow and tells her the sun will come out tomorrow even though um that's when the mudges are going to come back and pick her up uh that's different than you know the way it was in the in the stage play is they're singing this at the White House with President Roosevelt because he's trying to tell people everything's going to be okay in the middle of the Great Depression. Slight difference. Yep. Minor, minor, minor change. Uh, but of course, the Mudges do come back in the morning, and Lily, Christian Chenoweth's character, is the one who screws everything up because they're about to get away when we find out that Lily was left to watch the orphans because they made a point <laughs> earlier that somebody had to stay and watch the orphans. And she, the orphans finally find out from her what's going on. They barge into the Warbucks house, and hilarity ensues. Well, they and Lily bar- barge into the Warbucks house because they, right. they convince Lily that she's a little too dumb, and they fill her on the fact that she's probably about to get double-crossed. Which is true. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but they, they barge in, and reveal what's going on and Franklin Roosevelt is the one who calls the mudges on their fakery. He's the one who comes in and says who they actually are. Uh, they get arrested by the secret service. He reveals Annie's parents. It's almost like FDR is the deus ex machina. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Possibly also in real life. It could be. He just sort of shows up. All right, everyone, here's what you've been missing. Thank you. All right, and now the end of the film. 
but we find out that Annie's parents are dead. Uh, David and Margaret Bennett, they, they died several years earlier. Uh, Rooster and Lily get arrested. Miss Hannigan is about to get arrested and tries to convince Annie to vouch for her. And then Annie uh, says the line back to Miss Hannigan of, like, you always taught me never to tell a lie. And so Miss um, Hannigan loses her mind. Literally, <laughs> yeah. literally, literally does. Yeah, because like, they she cut said, her off to the insane asylum. <laughs> yes. And then out of nowhere, Daddy Warbucks and Grace become engaged. Speaking of relationships yes. that were not touched on. <laughs> okay, yes, okay, because this is the retconning I was talking about. Because both sequels, Annie to Miss Hannigan's Revenge and Annie Warbucks, all hinge on the fact that uh, Daddy Warbucks has to get married within 90 days or else he'll lose custody of Annie. So in it's the, the first- Santa Claus... Yeah, it is. (laughs) Because in Annie 2, it's Miss Hannigan posing as Charlotte O'Hara and trying to marry him. And in Annie Warbucks, they basically have a big, like, kettle call search, kind of like the way that they do with Annie's parents, where all these people are descending upon the house and... Um, and they have to try to find him a proper wife. And of course, the whole time Grace is right in front of him. And, you know, everyone keeps saying, you know, the descriptions you're giving us for who you want as a wife, like she matches it exactly. And he keeps saying, well, I'm too old for her. <laughs> Which, <laughs> if you read the description of what he wants, she's exactly the age that he's apparently looking for. So, um, so by having the engagement happen in the last scene of this movie, it's effectively retconning both Annie sequels. Interesting. Which, which I can't say is necessarily a terrible thing, especially <laughs> in the case of Miss Hannigan's Revenge, which just sounds like a special kind of awful. Yes, indeed. I, I don't want to see either of those sequels. <laughs> I will be sending you the synopses for Annie too, because Miss Hannigan's Revenge, because it does make for a good read, <laughs> <I can imagine. laughs> if nothing else. <laughs> but yes, uh, so uh, Daddy Warbucks, Grace, and Annie sing "I Don't Need Anything But You," and and that ends the film, uh, which quite honestly won a lot of awards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bunch of a bunch of Emmys and a Peabody Award. Which is big, yeah. No, it was it was it was very very successful for Disney. Um, you know, they like you were saying, Todd. They'd done Cinderella. They kept doing more musicals. Um, this is one of those things that like keeps coming back in TV because you guys know the Sound of Music live musical that Carrie Underwood did last year, and now they're doing more of those. It's one of those things that like every every like I feel like every ten years or so we get into a musical craze on television definitely nothing wrong with that no as long as they're good Mm -hmm. (laughs) agreed yeah because there are there are bad ones for sure all right Mm -hmm. now anything else you guys want to add about annie um i i have a few notes yeah go okay so um the original broadway run of annie actually set the record for the longest running show at the neil simon theater which at the time that it was running it was the alvin the alvin theater Um, And that record was actually not broken until another musical adaptation by Thomas Meehan, which was uh, Hairspray. 
And um, also, the original production was nominated for nine Tony Awards, and ended up winning um, Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, Original Score, Performance by Leading Actress, Choreography, Scenic Design, and Best Costume Design. Um, and interesting fact, uh, Charles Strauss, who wrote the music for Annie, also wrote a Superman musical called It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. Fun. So Google that. Inter- interesting little show there. Yeah, very. Huh. I got a couple things. Um, one is the theater that is shown where they play in the, the Broadway play that they go to during the NYC song. That's actually the Imperial Theater. It actually actually even shows the Maquis out in front, which is only famous because it is the 50th Schubert Theater. So that's, what, that's its claim to fame. Um, and uh, the other thing is, I just want to talk about Alan Cummings. Not really an Avengers reference, but, it is, but he did play Nightcrawler. Yep. Right? And he also played Loki, but not in a Marvel film. He because he was Loki for in Son of the Mask. Because the mask from the Mask comic book and everything is Loki's mask. So. Oh, cool. All right. So uh, let's uh, let's turn to, to ratings for for Annie then. Uh, Todd, why don't you uh, lead us off? Oh, me first. I never I hate being first. Um, <laughs> So I like it. I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not huge on the musical thing to begin with. Um, it's very enjoyable for a TV thing. Uh, I think it's really high up there. The problem is we're kind of rating it like film-wise. So right. um, I, th- I think it's very solid. I, I kind of feel it's a three, like right in the middle. All right. So let's see. I'm gonna let Rachel go last. I'll go. Uh, I'll go next and say I uh, really enjoyed it. Like I said, I like I love the jokes. Uh, I enjoyed the the, the fun of it, uh, and and really had a good time watching it. So I'm I'm gonna give it a four. I thought just just the the performances and the characters. It was really fun to watch, um, and my daughter will not stop singing the song. So that's always a good sign. <laughs> Cheryl, what about you? I'm like Todd. I I. Had this been a movie, I'm not sure I would have paid for this in the theater at all. I'm I'm glad this was on cable <laughs> back in back in the days <laughs> because I I, th- I think that's where it belongs, obviously. But um, I do think it was a very good rendition. I'm also gonna give it I think a two point nine. We're not exactly as pretty. All right, all right, all right, Rachel. This is right in your wheelhouse. Oh, goodness. Okay, well, I have to preface this with, um, I actually wore out the 1982 copy, the copy of the 1982 version from our local library. Um, When I was younger, every time we would go to the library, I would always check out Annie. My family got absolutely sick of this movie. Um, I also ended up performing one of the songs in our uh, middle school talent show with a bunch of my friends. We did It's the Hard Knock Life. So I have a long history with this musical. I've seen it on stage. I've seen the movies. um, And obviously I've read up way and know way too much information about the sequels to this musical. Um, (laughs) I think I want to give it about a three and a half because it is really good for a uh, made-for-TV musical. Um, I think the cast is fantastic. I'm really happy that young kids get a chance to see 
performers like Audra McDonald and Alan Cumming and Kristen Chenoweth and have like that exposure to these actors at a very young age and getting to hear them sing and see them perform. Um, but I think I, I'm not a huge fan of the actress who plays Annie. She's all right, but I think it's a good thing that the rest of the cast is around her is just spectacular. Um, so I think three and a half is definitely a fair rating for this. All right. And so, I definitely agree. You know, that had they cheaped out on the cast, I think we would all be giving this a whole different rating. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Not. Not even a question. Yeah. The cast is what makes this. I, I completely agree. All right. So that is our look at the 1999 TV version of Annie. Um, you guys at home, if you want to watch this, it's out on uh, Amazon Instant Video and some of the other rental platforms. So go check that out. Uh, and if, let us know if you agree with us, disagree with us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Diz Film Project, Facebook, Disney Film Project, or, of course, in the show notes over at the website, DisneyFilmProject.com. And, of course, you can email us, uh, DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. I assume you guys are listening on one of the many ways you can listen to the show. You can listen on Stitcher. Um, we're, we're up on Diz Dad's radio. Uh, of course, you can always listen to the podcast on the website or on iTunes. Uh, if you do that, please go leave us a review or a rating. That really helps people find the show, helps us show up farther up in the uh, uh, podcast listings when people go searching for stuff to listen to. Um, we always appreciate that. So if you guys will go take the time to do that, we would really, really like it. All right. So that will do it for this week's show. Uh, until next week, for Todd and Cheryl and Rachel, I'm Ryan, and we'll see you again soon. Oh, I love my job. It's kids I hate. Now, have I ever spanked any of you? No, but you threatened, and that's worse. Well, it ain't easy street, but at least I'm wearing silver. What do Democrats eat? <laughs> <laughs>